Before we get started, today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by the City of San Francisco. Are, are you tired of having your sports in a different city by the bay? Then bring your sports team here, the City of San Francisco, the new safe haven for all your Bay Area sports teams. Raymond, where can they find us? You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Goldcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at the Goldcast underscore. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Goldcast. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the exact same moniker, the Goldcast, baby. And do hit that subscribe button because that'll keep you up to date and give you notifications when we go live, um, as well as subscribing to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whenever we put pictures or articles up. Awesome. We're about to get into it. So close to the Warriors being done. Super excited. Uh, they had a, a, a chippy little game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So we're going to look at that and ahead towards the playoffs, beginning that starting right now. And it's, baseball, baseball, baseball. And a little bit of San Francisco a Giants. A little bit, a little bit. All right, we're about to get into it, man. Like a, like a sex machine, man. Goldcast, here we go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby, I'm back. You are back. Back in the building. Raymond, it was, it's was. it been two weeks since we've heard your beautiful voice. Welcome back to the Goldcast. You want to know what's my favorite part about the Goldcast, brother? What is it? When we go to Spain and broadcast live? <laughs> when we go to Spain and broadcast live. Uh, the best part about this, you know, if you're here listening to the Goldcast, you're not here for an unbiased opinion. You're here for a biased opinion. This is the one place where the fans can listen to fans talking about how much homers we are about... The 49ers, the Warriors, and the Giants. This is the place to be. What we do here is, while we will look objectively, perhaps at games or at series or at you know at the lines, like what we do with the NFL lines, but this is the place where you as fans can hear about your favorite teams. You get the biased opinion on your teams. And, you know, we've had a lot of fans on, and we plan on bringing a lot more Bay Area fans on. Uh, thank you so much to Pete Zimmer. Raymond, you had a chance to hear that pod, yes? I did. He's great. Yeah, he did great. I wish I could have seen him this weekend. Yeah, he he did, he did great. Uh, we'll definitely be bringing him back on for a Warriors playoff preview. But let's get into it, Raymond. Why don't you break down a little bit of what happened tonight? It started. That game started off pretty chippy, didn't it? It did, and that's because the T Wolves beat us the last time we played them because we lost to them when we were in the losing streak. Absolutely, but revenge was definitely uh, exacted here. Final score, 121-107. Clay Thompson really was the uh, the man of the hour. He had 41 points and 23 in the first half. I mean, he was kind of single-handedly keep, keeping us in the game. It was it was pretty tight, especially in that first quarter. First quarter was, was tied, 32-32, um, and it looked pretty close, and Clay was the one that was keeping us in there. And I don't know if you know this, Ray, but... He had seven threes tonight, and his his seventh three-pointer tonight gave him the eighth most single-season threes in NBA history. 
Once again, another understated night by Clay Thompson, dropping 41 after Curry drops 42 just a couple nights before. So typical Splash Brothers fashion. He shot 50% from three-point range. It's funny because I had briefly spoken to Dad and uh, as he was watching the game t- tonight too. And, he, and Clay had missed like three shots in a row when, when we were we were both watching it uh, and uh, he said, uh, "He said, man, see, Clay's hot and cold." I said, "What are you talking about?" At that point, Clay was six for ten uh, for threes, and I said, "Clay's shooting sixty percent from beyond the arc. In fact, he's shooting at a higher percentage from three-point range than he is inside the perimeter." And I said, "Clay's like one of the best shooters. He's the second best shooter in the NBA, next to Curry. Curry actually had a kind of an off night in the first quarter. I thought Rubio played him really well defensively. Yep. Held him to just six points." Um, and then Curry came right back and then had that huge third quarter and he shut out Rubio in uh, that point. And that was a great bounce back because I know that he was uh, I know I, Curry was frustrating me in the first half with the bad passes, uh, had like he had like two or three turnovers in a yep. row that mm-hmm. led to like a five, six point swing. Well, on it, was, other, it was like those cute. It was those cute little passes that that really came back to haunt him last year during the postseason where he starts getting real cute with his little behind the backs and you know he had the one where he got the big smile that he did to andre gudala and that was fun but but he was doing he almost those, lost that one too yeah and he was doing those really early on and i was just like come on man don't get cute come on this is ridiculous why are we doing this right now against the timberwolves yes a team that tends to play up to the level uh tends to play to the level of their competition so that unfortunately includes the shitty teams so hence why they are 31 and 46 they play good teams well but they also play the shitty teams shitty so i i uh i thought everybody chipped in really good tonight um clay is so understated i mean he's just he's just and it's because he's not a flashy player he's he's not gonna he's not gonna dazzle you with ball handling skills like curry He's not going to make this cute behind-the-back pass. He's just a textbook, straight-up grade-A basketball player. He squares up when he shoots. He rarely shoots off balance, though he can make threes by shooting off balance if he has to make a quick release. That's something he's worked on the last couple of years is getting faster with his release because he used to have a longer wind-up. But now he's gotten – he's pretty much almost the same speed as Curry, maybe a smidge slower. But uh, he's still just uh, – just if, if Kwahi Leonard was not in the league – then Clay Thompson would be the best basketball player. Like when I say basketball player, I mean like two-way player. Now, now they call it two-way player. They didn't used to say that back in like you know the '90s and '80s when Jordan was playing. It was just a good, good basketball player. Um, Clay Thompson's a great basketball player. Kwahi Leonard is probably the best basketball player in the NBA. Clay Thompson, I put him right at number two though, because he's just and he's so and he's he's just like Leonard in that he's very very understated. He's introverted. He's quiet. He just likes to let his his plane do the talking for him. He's not going to flash you. Uh, Leonard's a little bit more flashy than Thompson because Leonard actually, you know, take takes uh, he makes a lot of shots in the paint and he'll he'll do some pretty big uh, dunks because he's got really good reach. Clay, on the other hand, is just a surgical shooter. Absolutely, you know the uh, kind of going back to the the just the Splash Brothers dominance. The top ten spots. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six of the top ten spots for most three points in a single NBA season. Uh, the 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 six most are all by Clay and Steph. 
The first four spots, one through four, are Curry, 2015-2016, Then he's got 305 for 2016-2017, 286 for the 2014-2015 season, and then Clay, Clay, oh, the first three are are Steph. Then Clay bounces in at the fourth spot with 276 threes during the 2015-2016 season. Then the fifth spot, Curry comes back with 272. That's in 2012 through 2013. Then Clay, then you've got Ray Allen and Dennis Scott at the sixth and seventh spots. And then Clay Thompson comes in at 262 for this season. Steph Curry at the ninth spot, 261 for the 2013 season. And then George McLeod is at 257 for the 95 96 season. So right now, Clay's at 262. And, you know, the Ray Allen and Dennis Scott, Ray, Dennis Scott is 267. Rayon is 269. All he needs, you know, I mean, he only needs, what is this, uh, seven more to tie Ray Allen and then, uh, and then surpass him, eight, an, eighth, an eighth one more to surpass him. You know, they're, they're really, really close. It's, uh, well, considering that Curry averages 10 threes a game, I'm sure he'll be able to do that in this final home stretch or this final uh, pl- stretch before the playoffs. I don't know. I'm talking about Clay. 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 Clay could easily bounce up to the number six spot and surpass Ray Allen. Oh, because he has. He, me, yeah. Yeah, he has 262, and he has to get to 269. Okay, and we still got. Let's see here. How many games left? We have one, two, three, four games left. We have four games left, and in these four games, Clay Thompson can can easily catch up to Ray Allen's. Uh, um, threes is the six most threes in a season, which is 269. But let's take a look, Ray. I want to ask you about this. Let's take a look at these final four games. We're um, Wednesday. We're um, in Phoenix against the Suns. Okay. Saturday, we are home for the Pelicans. Monday, home for the Jazz. Wednesday, home for the Lakers. I mean that's a pretty easy schedule. Now let's go. Let's bounce over to the Spurs schedule. We're three games up from the Spurs. Spurs on Wednesday, home for the Lakers, on the road against the Mavericks, uh, home for the Clippers, on the road for Portland, and then Wednesday they're um, um, in Utah against the Jazz. So they we play the Jazz on Monday, and then they play the Jazz on Wednesday. Both of our schedules are fairly easy, but we... yeah, there's like a smidge tougher, I'd say, between Dallas and the Clippers, and we have Phoenix, who's you know outside of Booker, they don't really have anybody. Well, I throw, I throw, well, I throw that whole middle road in there. You've got Dallas, you have Dallas, Los Angeles, and Portland in a row, and two of those are road games. You're on the road for Dallas, you're on the road for Portland, and I mean. I mean, Portland, you know, is they looks like they're on the verge of. of and are there any back to backs, or is there space? Um, the back to back is their back to back is Friday and Saturday for the Spurs. They're Friday, April seventh against Dallas. Saturday, April eighth against the Clippers. Warriors here. That's gonna be that's gonna be the toughest point in their schedule, right there. Right there, and then Warriors. Um, I mean, tomorrow, tomorrow in Phoenix uh, for the Suns. Other than that, the rest of these are at home, but it's Saturday, Monday, Wednesday. All, you know, one, one day break between all of them. All at home, all against relatively 
weak opponents. You know, jazz, jazz is. I mean, I guess jazz is. You know, jazz is a. I mean, they're kind of. They're basically hovering right around the same exact spot as the, the, the Trailblazers are. But I think their schedule is a smidge, a smidge tougher. I, I don't know. I, th- I think we get well, out jazz, of this. Jazz, one. jazz is in the playoffs, so. I mean, they're 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 uh they're eighteen games over five hundred. So you know, well, I wouldn't. They're right now. They're in the ninth spot. They're in the ninth spot. Port- Portland is is above them by a hair. I think they're like maybe half a game up. I think it's something like that. Half a game, game up. They're they're pretty close. But right now they're in the ninth spot, and Portland is in the eighth spot. I got Jazz in the fourth spot, and I got the Trailblazers in the eighth spot in the standings. God, I'm the worst. <laughs> You're right. Who are you looking at? You know what I was? I got the mix up with Denver. I totally botched uh, that. Duh. I was like, that's what I was thinking of. I was thinking of Denver. I was getting Denver and you said, "Listen, man, when you start heading out east, I don't really. I'm not paying attention, bro. I don't know. I don't. I'm, I'm not paying such that de- geography <laughs> close enough, man. You know, <laughs> you know, Utah, Denver. Ah, ah big, big whoop. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right." You're totally right. I've totally got them mixed up. Anyway, so that that that's gonna be that's gonna be a tricky one. But outside of that, I mean, there's not a we'll lot. Take the jazz. We've, we've taken the Jazz all year. Yeah, it's really not that tough a schedule. I mean, barring any you know any mis- mishaps, how many games? So they're three and a half back. So how many do we have to win? Our Good. magic number is two now because we won tonight. So we went two more, and then that's and then then first place that's is clinched. Then it. it's locked. Yeah. Nice. There's nice. nothing they can do about it. I like we've that. Won, we've won twelve straight, so you, you know we've twelve straight. I mean, the the it's funny because everyone was saying like you know everyone was complaining like oh the. You know the 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 sky is falling. The the Warriors, you know, they don't look very good. You know, KD was clearly the anchor that was holding them together this season. And then right after that that stretch where they lost several games in a row, then boom, the Warriors kind of said, "Oh wait, you know, we used to do this without KD." And then all of a sudden, the bench woke up. Iguodala woke up. Uh, David West woke up. Ian Clark's been fairly consistent all year. Um, Everyone started to wake up and started to play like the old Warriors where first unit would come out, kick some ass. Then the second unit would come out and kind of close them and play – not play as good as the first unit but play good enough to hold off the opponents. And then I was like, I was like, this is this is the last two years Warriors basketball that we're watching right now. This is, this is the typical Warriors that we're watching. This isn't KD Warriors that we're watching right now. Obviously, he's not in the lineup. But, I mean, the, when they've – the way they've turned it on for this 12-game win streak, it, to me, seems very re- reminiscent of the way that the Warriors had been playing when they had, you know, the previous bench of before, of Mo Spades, uh, um, Festus Azili, uh, the Brazilian Blur, uh, who will face tomorrow night. I don't, well, unless he's injured, I don't know what his status is because I don't follow the Phoenix Suns. But, I mean, when we had that unit. But in this case, you know, Andre's still obviously a part of the second unit. But I, David West stepped up. David West was huge against the Spurs game. I mean, he just he he torched them in the fourth quarter um, uh, on that game. 
when we played the Spurs, it was just it was pretty awesome to watch. Uh, and he's been he's been on fire. He's basically our fourth quarter closing. He's our closer center, you know, because JaVale McGee comes in typically around the second quarter. He plays second and third quarter. Zaza kind of bounces back and forth between first. He plays most of the first quarter and he comes back in. Depending on what the if the Warriors are playing the way they're playing right now, where everything kind of is clicking in every quarter for them, pretty much. Then this is typically what we'll see. We'll see Zaza on the first. Then we'll see JaVale kind of come in late in the second. Then we'll see him play all of the third. And then David West comes out to close the fourth. And then Curry typically doesn't play in the fourth, much like he did in the the championship run. So this is um, – it's been really fun to watch. Uh, you know, I mean, what's it been like for you? I mean, do you feel the same way that, like – that this has kind of been the old warriors, you know, pre pre KD, or are you seeing something different in terms of how they're playing? No, I definitely think it's pre KD. I, I completely agree that, you know, relying more on the bench, the bench actually, you know, really coming alive and really carrying their weight when, when the, when the big guns are down, I think this was actually probably the best thing to happen to the warriors was the injury to KD. I think it actually forced the entire team to rally around and find their strengths and I think that these strengths and, and the way they've played right now and how far they dug deep and the the team atmosphere that they've built re, kind of reinstated in the wake of no longer kind of you know always relegating themselves to kind of KD first I think this now that KD's come, with KD coming back possibly this Saturday I think this puts the team in a position to where now they can go into the playoffs as a full unit. Whereas before, you know, it was a KD-led unit and it was still, I mean, you know, clearly was extremely lethal. But now now the role players, I think the role players have a more clearly defined, um, they, have a more, they, they have a more clearly defined idea of what they need to do going forward into the playoffs. And I think this is the best possible scenario. Him getting injured was probably the best thing to happen. It really did. It forced the Warriors to rally around each other. And it put them in a position to figure out their strengths and weaknesses. And now here we are. And here they're going. And I'm really happy about it. I actually, you know, I think, I also think how they how they played was the best possible scenario for KD because if you remember last year when last year when uh, Curry went down in the playoffs which was a horrible time for him to go down but when he went down the Warriors were on really shaky ground during all of that and I think it, it it put it put a lot of pressure on Curry to come back maybe slightly prematurely and before he was really ready to um, but and I think that it was it, it was just a very it was a very tense moment now but here I think KD has been because of how dominant the Warriors are playing, I feel that he's just kind of been allowed to take his time. And I think also, this is going to sound crazy, but I think that psychologically, psychologically it relaxes him. And I think psychologically seeing where the team is, it's allowed him to to approach his, his rehab in a stress-free environment. And I think that when you're rehabbing an injury, and I've done this several times when I was a pro breakdancer, rehabbing injuries... Um, in a stress-free environment is so important because the more stressed you are that you need to get it done and you need to make it happen now, the more stressed you are about that. I, it really, I, I don't think it's the best environment for the injury. I don't even know if that makes sense, but it's a it's an athlete thing and I'm not sure if that makes perfect sense, but when, you, when you're rehabbing an injury, you want a stress-free environment. And I think this scenario, seeing the Warriors the way they've been, I think it's allowed KD to kind of 
put his take his foot off the gas pedal and just rehab that leg no pressure no psychological pressure no psychological pressure onto on the injury to heal itself he's been able to just com- relax it in a stress free zone meanwhile warriors putting it all together the bench players and the role players putting it all together figuring out how to rally again as a full team and now with KD coming back you have a, a- right versus if he if this if the warriors were continuing continuing to skid if the if if this injury happened even later meaning that there would be overlap in in his return to the playoffs it'd be like he'd probably be coming back second round uh versus the first round you, or, you mean like that or, or no i mean the opposite actually i mean you know if let's say let's say the warriors you know they, they when they when they had that skid Right when they they, mm-hmm. they were two 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 and was it two and four is that what they what they were they were two and I think four two and five two and five so they're 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 in that little skid and let's just say that it just kind of keeps getting bumpy like that and San, San Antonio is now up you know three to four games and now KD's stressed out the team is stressed out and then KD comes back a week before he needs to you know and he's out there on the f- field but he's still feeling that twinge in his knee and you're not really sure it's gonna hold on and maybe in the first or second round he goes down again. And he goes down, down, and he's not there. Now, that mm-hmm. still could happen, and, and God forbid, and I hope it really doesn't happen. But I think that if they continue to skid, you have a, you have a very stress – a, a very stress-filled rehab that where Katie's probably is maybe even psychologically subconsciously putting on the pressure to make that injury get healed faster so you can get on the floor prematurely and that would lead to an even worse worst case scenario there a little bit of what I felt was happening a little bit with Steph Steph Curry was feeling a lot of pressure to come back and I think he was he might have come back a little prematurely last year during the playoffs and so that's what I was saying that because because they were played so dominantly, there was none of that pressure for him to come back prematurely, and he was able to kind of fully see out his rehab all the way to its logical end, which hopefully is going to be this Saturday. And I think he's going to be fine. I actually think he's going to be just fine. I hope he's just fine, but I really think he's going to be okay. And I think that the Warriors playing at the level that they have has allowed him to, uh, you know, to re- to rehab and, and put himself in position to uh, to join the team at, at their apex, the the bench. And Steph and Clay have taken this team back to its top level. Uh, KD is, is going to be healed. He's going to be fine. He comes back to the top level. They go into the first round. Bam, guns blazing. And I think we get a, we get a Warriors dominance that, that we didn't quite see last year during the playoffs. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I feel like everyone's role is like more solidified now. Like Even Matt Barnes, who was basically the, the he KD. He played great tonight. Replacement, who I think should remain on the roster throughout the playoffs. Um, I think you you definitely keep him. You know, we know Damian Jones is out there in Santa Cruz, uh, making strides, becoming a better player. I think, uh, you know, I'd say the only one that's kind of me to me is kind of the odd man out. It's kind of I'd say Kevin Looney and probably McAdoo is probably up there too. McAdoo and Looney, these guys typically come in. Although I like McAdoo a lot better than Looney. Looney just doesn't move as well as David West or JaVale McGee or even Zaza for that matter. Looney just looks a little little sluggish out there. He looks sluggish even tonight in the, the final minutes that he came in. I'm not sure if that's because he's not as motivated coming in because when it's when it's it's pointless, you know, it's meaningless minutes. Although not maybe not meaningless, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider it meaningless if I if that was me. You take every every chance you get, but it's either that or you know I wonder if if the uh, 
the double hip surgery, you know, is something that's lingering and, you know, affecting his ability to, to move well. Because to me, to me, JaVale McGee is your, your clear future if he can, you know, become even more consistent. Because Zaza's older. He's in, you know, the twilight of his career. David West is, you know, also an older player. <clears throat> so he's not, you know, a long-term solution. You know, he's, he's one of those veteran rent veteran rentals that's, you know, a solid pickup, you know, along with Zaza. JaVale's great, but I just wonder about Looney. You know, you, and you still have Damian Jones in the wings, you know, as as a future guy too. You know, I'm just not sure about Looney. He's definitely the odd man out for me. I'd say McAdoo's uh, in a strong second for that that kind of position. Everyone else kind of plays a really, really strong, very pivotal role, and comes in a very specific, you know, you know, like Matt Bar- Matt Barnes started tonight. It's typically been Patrick McCaw starting this throughout most of this stretch. Barnes stuttered tonight because of matchup purposes, you know, credit to Kerr, you know, working his little chess wizardry, knowing the matchups, kind of like the Bruce Bochy over here. Speaking of the Giants, did you uh, see the game tonight? No, I saw the final score. Giants pull off a win. That was nice because let's talk about that opening game because you had a lot to say about that originally. And I wanted to get that onto the gold cast and talk about that. Uh, It was frustrating to me. I mean – the, the 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 good news is that baseball is retardedly long so <laughs> so you can never you don't have to put a whole lot of stock in one game you know uh you know the the warriors magic number is 2 the in baseball every team's magic number right now is 163 160 or i'm sorry 1 160 because we've already played two games so we we have 160 more to go before we can figure out you know what the playoffs are going to look like but considering how we tanked, you know, the second half of the season last year and how the bullpen pretty much tanked us out and the closer tanked us out, we led the major leagues and, and blown saves last year. I think we had like 33, 30 plus combined between the relievers who blew saves and our closers who blew saves. I'm so glad that we got rid of Romo. I'm glad that we got rid of Lopez. I'm thrilled that we got rid of Casilla. I just couldn't stand any of those three guys. And well, I shouldn't say that about Roma and Lopez. They were pivotal during the championship run. They just got too old and they just didn't have the juice anymore. You know, and Lopez has no, you know, Romo has three rings. He has nothing to complain about. Lopez has four rings because he won with Boston before he came to us. So, you know, they're going to end on a high note regardless. But uh, considering that we bullpen gave it up again you know, it was Law, I think it was Law who gave it up yesterday. And then, boom, our big-time closer gave up gave up the lead and, and cut, gave up the walk-off to the Diamondbacks. We bounced back today, um, actually in the opposite fashion, where Cueto came in, gave up four earned runs, you know, pitched solid outside of that. But then the bullpen came in and shut everybody out. There was no earned runs by between Garen, Contos, Law, and Strickland, the one-trick pony Strickland. Um, only two walks, you know, and then six strikeouts between all those guys. So that was good. Um, Cueto was a little bit rocky in his his rock. You know, he had six hits, four earned runs, two walks, two home runs. You know, that's a kind of a very un ish But, I mean, he, he still got the W, so that counts. And I think he's definitely geared up to – he kind of has still has that same look in his eye that he really wants to kind of come out and do what he did last year. And I think it's good that he has Bumgarner before him because those two kind of feed off of each other. 
because we have that great one-two punch in our aces right there. And then Samarja's and Samarja and uh, Matt Moore are great solid three and four guys. And then Kane, I think, is the odd guy out. I'm kind of going ahead of of of, of the game. It, it was, I mean. T- it was still frustrating to lose in that fashion because we had we had tanked the rest of the season by that fashion. But looking ahead, I think there's still a lot of good things about the roster this year because we've got rid of all of that dead weight. We've got all of our aces, you know, back, including Matt Moore, who pitched a beauty in the game that we blew in in the ninth with our between our bullpen and closer. We retained him. Because he's got good stuff, and then Matt Cain's kind of the oddball at five. I think they're they're giving him this is his swan song. This is his last chance to kind of recapture any ounce of his 2012 self. But to be honest, I think he's just gonna fall flat again, and then we're just gonna get rid of him. I think so too. Unfortunately, I do. <clears throat> I, I agree. I think that uh, this is a swan song. This is definitely his last chance, and yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't know. It's just hard. It's hard when you've got that many surgeries. It's hard when you've been injured for that long. It's just so hard to bounce back, and you're not getting any younger. You're only getting older, and father, father time is undefeated in all of sports. I feel like he gave it up, I mean, in order to get the chip in 2012. What do you think? Like he, uh, like, like that was just like, I mean, he just threw it all in there, and that was all, that was all yeah, his body Yeah, that was left. his, I mean. Kind of like Tim Lentz come with, with 2010. Yeah, but even, even a little bit more. I mean, because Timmy was already on the decline, you know, prior to that. Um, but it was more like uh, I would compare it to, well, maybe I wouldn't compare it to, but like, I mean, you know, like Kurt Schilling gave it all up, you know, in the, against the Yankees and got the, uh, you know, the symbolic bloody sock and the Red Sox sock. I mean, that was a way more dramatic, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, you know, he gave, he gave up, you know, that was pretty much the end of his career at that point. Um, but I feel like Kane, he didn't go, he didn't have like a Bumgarner series where Bumgarner just dominated and came out and, you know, you know, gave up his arm. But, but Bum, Bum is just such a, such a goddamn rugged, rough cowboy that he's just, he's just got a lot of stamina and just got a, he's got a, just a tough attitude where Kaney, Kaney's more, you know, understated. He, you know, he just kind of lets his plane do the talk. Another one of these understated players, but he definitely went all out for 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 his, you know, for what what his what his body and energy could offer. He gave that up to get the to help get the 2012 championship, and he's never been able to regain his footing since. Yes, I agree with that. I agree. And Bumgarner, you know, he he's just a horse. He's the old country horse. He's, he just never stops charging. Yeah, I mean, I, outside the loss um, between the bullpen and the closer, he had a terrific game. He is the only pitcher in MLB history to hit two home runs on opening day. Such an awkward stat, anyways. Just like it, it had to it had to be like the perfect storm in order for that stat to even materialize. He sits alone. But you know, nice thing, kind of like you said. But 160 games left. There's so much baseball left. Um, you know, we have, pl- we have plenty of time to. Bochi has plenty of time to, to put it all together. How do exactly. you feel? Here's something from the baseball tip. Have you noticed that Oakland's whole rooted in Oakland? I was in San Francisco, by the way. Um, shout out to all, all all the all my SF folks. I was in I was in a, I was in San Francisco for a wedding for this entire weekend, and that was nice. It was nice to be back at home in the city. But uh, did did you see all of the Oakland A's rooted in Oakland 
uh, billboards everywhere rooted in Oakland. What do you think about that? Smart, I think. Well, I, I it's it's exactly what I what I think the A's should do, which is like, hey, the Raiders are out. You know, I mean, they're going to be here playing for the next couple years until they move, but this is pretty much your town now. You're the only team left. The Warriors have already broken ground to build their stadium in San Francisco. Obviously, they'll remain, they'll stay, they'll keep the the moniker Golden State, but they're not going to be in Oakland anymore. They're coming to the city where everything's better. And the Raiders are going to Las Vegas. They're going to go to America's Playground. And obviously, things will be a lot better there. So now it's the, like, hey, Ace, this is your opportunity, you know, from a marketing perspective, from a sports perspective, to really capitalize and take ownership of Oakland. Um, to be honest, I mean, uh, you know, whenever I think of Oakland sports teams, A's typically come to mind first because I don't give a shit about the Raiders. But, you know, <laughs> that's just me. So um, I think it's great. You know, it's great. It's great for the fans. Uh, it's great for the city of Oakland. They need something. I mean, Oakland can't have nice things. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, I, I guess it, for the A's it is. And the A's are even they're painful to watch right now. But uh but at least they got something. I think it's cool. I think it's really smart marketing. They are the um, – <clears throat> sorry. A lot of throat clearing from us today. They really are the uh, – they're the final final team standing. And uh, kind of like Pete was talking about, it seems like Oakland is committed to uh, getting them some type of uh, – getting them some type of um, a stadium out there. So – that, that's great. Do something. They they missed it. They 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 dropped the ball hard. I mean, even though I I commend them for you know not putting it on the on the fans to pay for. At the same time, though, they certainly took their sweet ass time trying to get a deal done. For um, sure. So 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 at, at at the very least, what you what they should be doing is you know definitely putting all their attention and resources to um, keep uh, keep the athletics around. Agreed. Now we're almost about done, but with our final minutes here, I wanted to ask you what your thoughts were on WrestleMania and the Undertaker retiring. Um, gosh, you know, uh, I love the Undertaker, but I just thought it was a very—it's uh, just kind of a—it was a weak. It was, it was a weak tough match. to watch. Basically, just yeah, I was just watching Undertaker get his ass kicked the whole time, and then he just—I was like, man, he just went out like a punk, straight up. I mean, did you feel like it was a punk match? I mean, he—I mean, he put up a fight in the like the first quarter, and then the, the remaining three quarters, it was just him getting beat around. You know, I here's here's what I thought. I thought that I thought. Uh, first of all, I thought the card for for being like a seven hour card, I thought it was really good for the most part. It was like really some really extremely high caliber matches, all from AJ Styles and Shane McMahon. The all. whole show was great. Yeah, it was great, right? Was like great. for seven, it was seven Solid hours long. Yeah, it was. Considering se- I haven't watched WrestleMania from beginning to end in years, it was. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, the final match, I think, really, it was a testament to just how how old the Undertaker has is now. I mean, he phys- I mean, like he doesn't move well. No, he all. doesn't move well. He also, speaking of, he also has to get like it might be double hip surgery. He has to get hip surgery too, which is one of the reasons he moves so effing slow to the to the ring now. Um, I when it ended, you know, he stood up. And then uh, he could barely do that sit up. He could barely do the sit up. It's rise from the dead sit up. 
Yeah, and then he stood there with the jacket, the hat on, and then right when he started taking off the gloves, I knew it was coming. I was like, oh, wow. He's going to take off the gloves. He's going to leave them in the ring. And then he took off the jacket, and then he took off the hat, and then he went and he kissed his wife goodbye. And I was like, oh, wow. He, I mean, you know, he, you know, you know, Undertaker's all strictly about kayfabe. He does not, he does not do kayfabe. You know what I mean? He doesn't like breaking kayfabe. Mm-hmm. So him to go kiss his wife, that's like a big deal. And then he went up halfway through the ramp. I was waiting for him to raise his arm. He kind of gave the final look back. You could see him soaking it in too. He's kind of soaking in that crowd. And then he raised his arm and then he lowered underground and then it closed. I thought that was, uh, I thought it was a fitting end to a guy who's literally been fighting since we were I, we, we were 11 and 10 years old. <laughs> and actually, yeah. he started before that. He started in the 80s, but we first saw him as The Undertaker when we were 11 and 10 years old. I thought that was a pretty fitting end. It's kind of weird to be like, wow, I've seen this guy since I was a little kid, and he's only now retiring. Yeah. And he used to be able to, in his first match, I watched his first match on that day, and in that match, he walked, he got up on the top turnbuckle, and then tightrope walked the line into the middle of the rope, and then jumped off and hit the, the I forget, it was some nobody he was facing, mm-hmm. and then hit the guy's arm. That's called old like, school. Wow. That, that, that trick of his is called old school. So like when it, and he, he could still do it, several years back again what you really should do is you need to go back his last two like really great matches his match against brock actually wasn't that bad from a couple years back that actually wasn't that bad that was actually probably his last good match was against brock oh, i Lesner. can't stand brock lesnar uh, yeah we'll get into that in a second but i thought um but his the last two really his like peak peak matches where he's pretty much an old man already he's in his 40s you need to go see wrestlemania 25 against Shawn Michaels and then WrestleMania 26 the rematch against Shawn Michaels and the first one it's the you know it's Shawn Michaels trying to break the streak and it was three there were three main events and that was the opener of the three main events and it was so good the match is so good that in the fi- in, in WrestleMania 26 they they are the final match and it's Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker uh, I got this. I saw this great interview with the referee who ref that match. And you know the referees, they kind of keep track of the time, and they'll tell the wrestlers, "Hey, you got ten minutes left," or blah blah blah. And he told, he told Shawn Michaels, you know, you're you're at a, you know, you're at fifteen minutes, you're at like fifteen minutes, or you're at ten minutes, and the match is only fifteen minutes. And Shawn Michaels said, "Don't tell me, don't tell me the time anymore." And he goes, and he was saying in the interview, he goes, well, when Mr. WrestleMania tells you not to tell him the time, you kind of just back off and let him go. And so that match ended up being like 30 minutes. But if you want to see like peak, peak Undertaker, you really need to see Undertaker versus Shawn Michael at WrestleMania 25, which was, you know, literally only seven WrestleMania. Well, seven WrestleManias ago when you're that age is a long time. But uh, that was a good one. I thought the Brock Goldberg match, we, we got to go soon, but I thought Brock Goldberg, considering how short every other match they'd done. I actually thought that wasn't too bad, their 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 match. And clearly the crowd was really behind Brock. I mean, I guess the only bummer about Brock is all he does is those damn suplexes over and over now. It's kind of underwhelming. Stupid. That's that's what I thought. I was just like, 
this is really retarded. I was like, look, if you're going to take the time to be a wrestler, learn something else. You're a big-ass dude. You're, you're clearly very strong. You've got some athleticism. You need it in order to even do those back suplexes. Learn another fucking move. No, that's the thing, though. But if you look at all the old Brock stuff, like if you look at all like the old Brock stuff in the early 2000s, I mean, he, he had this one he, – I mean, he almost killed himself, but he flipped off the top rope and landed on his head and like literally almost killed himself. But – uh but I mean, he used to be, you know, a full-on wrestler, moves, holds, everything. But I guess now because they're—I heard this this defensive now because they're billing him as a monster. That's kind of why they changed his move set to be much more simpler and just destructive because he's a monster now. He's a big monster, and all he does is slam you, and he doesn't do all that big wrestling stuff. That's all for like the little guys, and he's just a big brute now, and that's kind of why his style has changed. But yeah, if you look at like vintage. Brock Lesnar, he he used to do all kinds of you know crazy shit, even going off the top rope, everything. And now no, he, I know, but I I think I mean even a a, a clothesline or a body slam, come on, I mean something, something right? <laughs> something. This one trick <laughs> pony thing is just makes for a very lackluster match against a wrestler that I love far more than Brock Lesnar in Goldberg. I mean, but uh, Seth Rollins stole the match for me. Um, he's amazing. Um, I th- I do think the knee was a little bit tender, um, and I like the fact that they kind of, you know, the match was kind of centered around that, uh, you know, in terms of uh, Triple H's strategy. I thought that was great. I thought it, that reminded me of Bret Hart matches. It reminded me of Macho Man and Steamboat matches, very technical matches, very strategic. Um, um, and that that to me, I that to me just brought back a ton of nostalgic. Uh, memories that was very Shawn michaels esque um rollins is a beast dude he's he's in my like top five aj aj styles is without question i believe right now to be the and he's most people do be the best worker in the in wwe and arguably the best wrestler in the world right now in terms of technical prowess but i mean if he's the best wrestler in the world i would put rollins maybe at like right at number two he's just so goddamn good yeah, that turnbuckle thing. And then, you know, that I would full love twist, Mary, that full twist would, splash thing he does. Twist. And then Charlotte Flair, my future wife, <laughs> did a terrific twist herself off the buckle to hit all four all four of the girls. She's I the best female was... wrestler in the world, there's no question. Oh yeah, absolutely. She goes all out. She's amazing. So that was a great match. Poor Bailey, she always looks like she's crying, no matter what. Oh, I love Bailey though, but Bailey's really good. She's physically. And she's from the Bay Area. She's San Jose girl. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard that. I heard that's why she re- writes her name B A Y. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Letters of her name Bailey. She purposely did that as a uh, a homage to the Bay Area. Bay Area. And I think the next event is. I think the next major event is in San Jose, right? So she gets. She keeps the belt and. Uh, gets to have her next match in her hometown oh payback paybacks in in san jose yeah payback's a raw event and then uh the next next month is the smackdown event which is you know i'm a a smackdown dude but this coming monday and then we really got to go this coming monday they're gonna uh they're gonna shake up the rosters they're gonna they're not doing a full draft but they're gonna do some trades um, I don't know who's going to go where. Um, I'm pretty curious, but I, I've heard possibly AJ Styles. Well, I'll tell you this. Enzo Amore and Cass, I think they're going to SmackDown, and I think AJ Styles is coming over to Raw, which is going to make me really sad because AJ Styles has just been the 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 just the 
The Rock on SmackDown. No. Well, I, wa- I want to know who's going to contend the Hardy Boys for the tag team belts. Oh, well, the number, one con- again. the number one contenders were decided on Raw. That's why I think it, it's, it's um, uh, uh, Sheamus and uh, what's his name? Cesaro. Cesaro. Sheamus yeah. and Cesaro. They were fighting Enzo Amore and Cass uh, for, for the number one contender spot. And they won. That's what makes me think for Sir Enzo. Because why would Enzo and Cass not be the number one contenders? I go, oh, that means they're going to they're going to SmackDown next next week. Which because right. they're going to SmackDown because the because the Hardys are back, so the Hardys are going to have the run here, and then Enzo and Cass are going to have the SmackDown titles. That's that's what's going to happen. That's why they're taking them there. They're like, hey, Hardys are too big and they're old school. You guys deserve the belts. Everyone thought this was, it was it was going to be if if the Hardy Boys weren't there, they were going to win the belts this weekend. So since the Hardy Boys are back, they're going to head over, and I think they're going to take the SmackDown title so that they can finally get the title run that they deserve. Right. So they'll get the belts because they they have a, a pretty solid routine over there. Enzo's Enzo's really good at the uh, showman aspect of wrestling, and Cass is just super awesome at being a big dude. You know, they're per- it's a perfect mm-hmm. little big guy, little guy thing. Speaking of, I ordered from WWE these black cups. They said. Uh, uh, what do we got here? And then you turn around and says, a cup of haters, which is a line that Enzo <laughs> says. And they came, and they came broken. I was so pissed. Oh, Not only did they come... Take a picture and mail it back? We're going we're gonna to mail them back. But uh, um, uh, what I'm really pissed is because they were sold out, and I had to wait three weeks for them to get back in, and they showed up broken. I was furious. I was so furious. And I bought two, and both were broken. Yeah, super pissed. Anyways... Raymond, uh, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ray Solis, although I spend a majority of my time uh, running the uh, social media of the Goldcast. But you're always welcome to say hello to me on my personal Twitter account. I do uh, follow – I follow a lot of different people on the personal account, but uh, I do also – and that includes sports. So feel free to say hi there as well as our Goldcast handles. Boom, and you can find me on uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Rudy Solis Third, Rudy Solis Three R D. Don't forget to share, like, and subscribe to the Goldcast. We love all the comments on YouTube and Facebook. Check us out on Facebook.com/slash/TheGoldcast. That's our big hub. Our brand new Instagram page is uh, rocking and popping. Lots of cool updates there, and yeah. So just check us out. Share, like, subscribe. Give us a shout-out. We'll give you a shout-out back. And so concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the faithful. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III. And with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Goldcast time. Same Goldcast channel. This is, is the Goldcast.